0: Woo-hoo. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. Your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo, episode 303. It's Monday. It is May 23rd. Let's get into this thing. Stoked for this podcast. Um, first of all, I want to, before we get to the content, I would just want to sh- spread some love. i uh, got some great reactions to episode 300. Obviously, a major milestone that was dropped last week. Um, where I had you know, three great buddies of mine, Ryan Warner, the original co-host of this pod, Tanner Warner, good friend of mine in sales, and Lake Waters, who is the producer of this pod, sat around a table, enjoyed an Italian meal and some wine, talked shop, talked life for about an hour, and um, you know some great visuals on YouTube there. So would love for you to check that out. Thank you, everyone, for the support. It means a ton. Got some really cool stuff going. Uh, one thing that I want to talk about just for a minute and then we'll get to uh jen allen who's a great guest for today is a community that my friend anthony natoli uh just dropped uh he and i both dropped together called the up and up it's focused on helping salespeople not only crush their quota but become more fulfilled uh have better mental health in the process and so we're going to be doing it's a patreon group we're going to be doing weekly uh live sessions with experts that come in uh you know folks that have committed like kevin dorsey uh zoe hartsfield sam mckenna um would i say kd justin welsh uh brandon fluherity just some great names that are going to come in we're gonna have some real talk we're gonna do some q a there's a a discord channel um we're gonna try to get some live events and and in-person events at some point once we can get some uh some clearance on that so we got some great stuff going on and it's uh you know it's a very reasonable uh venti coffee is the price of about five bucks a month and so there's gonna be a ton of value there so i'd love for you to check that out obviously check me out on linkedin if you're not following already um the episode today is great jen allen a for a fellow chicago lander she is the chief evangelist over at challenger you probably heard of the challenger sale or perhaps even read the challenger sale book um She, before that, she was at CEB and Gartner for about 15 years, just selling massive deals there. And she also co-hosts the challenger, winning the challenger sale podcast. Uh, And we did a podcast swap. So you can hear me on hers uh, coming shortly, but we had a great time. She talks about how she got into sales. She talks about uh, the challenger model and, and, you know, how she developed as an individual contributor. Uh, There's kind of those two paths. You, You can go down the IC route, or you can, try to get into management. She's stuck to individual rep and just crushing her number and winning big deals, which is great. And we got deep, talked about imposter syndrome, talked about just the mental side of uh, of life and and being a professional and, and trying to get to the next level, um, comparing dating to sales and a lot of other things. So it was a great combo. Love talking to Jed. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, without further ado, let's just get straight into it. Let's go. All right, next up on the podcast, we've got the chief evangelist over at Challenger, Jen Allen. Happy Friday, Jen. Welcome to the show. Happy Friday, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Um, I'm stoked to have you on. Uh, if for nothing else, we got two Chicago, like, <laughs> do we call you a Chicago land? Is that what people say? Or, or what do you, if you're in the suburbs, what do you consider yourself?
1: I think unfortunately it is Chicagoland. I might as well just say the glaring thing on <laughs> my forehead. I live in the suburbs now. But yes, that's great.
0: <laughs> well, it's close enough. This is the first uh, the first podcast since moving here with a fellow Chicagoan or Chicagolandian or what, however you say it. So I'm I'm pumped to meet you and pumped to have you on. Thank you. Um, so to kind of kick things off, I'd love to hear. Um, I know you grew up in Pennsylvania, went to Penn State, um, and then got just straight into sales, it looks like, straight from school. So I'd love to hear, what was that path? Did you always know that you wanted to get into sales? Did you have a, a family member that was in there or, or what was kind of the original path?
1: Yeah, I'm always curious of those people who just were like, I always knew I wanted to be in sales.
0: <laughs> I was the antithesis,
1: right? I'm always, and I, when we ask this question on our podcast, it's it's rarely like, I grew up as a little girl thinking just, when can I carry a bag? Um, though I know they're out there. So for for me, um, I actually went to Penn State and then did this job where I was doing um, basically like final four and bowl game travel packages for college university. So what I loved about it was like the scenario planning right? Like you have these schools, you don't know who's going to go to the Sugar Bowl and you're watching the games and you're like planning in action. I thought that part was really cool. And then I got excited because I said, all right, now I get to go to the Sugar Bowl. How cool is this? Only the thing I didn't realize is that meant I was standing in the bus parking lot with like a clipboard. I wasn't in the game. I wasn't having fun. So (laughs) the idea of it was like far better than what the reality was. And so I had a roommate from college who was working at this company called Corporate Executive Board, which was since acquired by Gartner. And um, she was in their event planning team. And she said, you should interview here. It's such a cool culture. A lot of smart people, super fun. And that candidly was like all it took for me to say, I want to get out of central Pennsylvania. I want to move to DC. Like, I want to see what's out there. And so I interviewed and then they said, rather than put you in event management, um, we're going to put you in an account management entry-level position. And so that was actually how I landed in sales to begin with, not because I was seeking it out.
0: So as an account management, like you, you were obviously like handling current customers or what did that job entail?
1: Yeah. So I was working for an account director who was managing a book of business that was um, like fortune 500 chief marketing officers. And she was selling a subscription service. And this woman from day one was just so impressive to me, like her posture, her confidence, her um, command of a conversation. I was just like, so in awe of. And I I really, I say this a lot, like I tribute a lot of my desire to get into sales to her because I like, she was such a role model to me. And I thought she was just so incredible at what she did. So my job for her was simply scheduling meetings with these CMOs to try to get them to utilize, you know, services they bought or schedule a renewal call for the service subscription, things like that. And so it was kind of like a safer entry point into sales. I wasn't cold calling per se, except in the instances where we had contact turn and I was trying to engage the new person. Um, But I loved getting into sales that way because it allowed me to understand how do customers use the product? What do they like? What are they not? And then that sort of shaped how I talked about it to other people when they were like coming in new to the role. So it was in my mind, kind of a safe entry point
0: yeah and did she take you under her wing at all or was she a little bit like a lone wolf and you were just kind of admiring her from afar and setting up meetings or how was that relationship
1: i love that question she absolutely took me under my wing, but she (laughs) was like tough love i remember i came in one day i was five minutes late and she said this is not the way you want to behave if you want to like send the signal that you know you want to be respected here and i just from that point forward (laughs) i was never late again i was like okay so she was very, very good. And the interesting thing that happened is about six months into me working for her, she took an opportunity in London at the company to, to have, take on a bigger job. And at the time, she reported to a managing director that oversaw all of the, you know, the practice and um, the sales side. And that managing director said, Look, Jen, we don't have a backfill right now. I'm gonna let you know, like we're gonna interview people from the outside. Uh, we need you to do the job until we find someone. And I was like a deer in headlights, but I said, okay, I can do it. And I said, is there any possibility that I could prove to you that I could do this job? And she said, it's unlikely you can try. And I'm just, I'm someone, that I know it sounds kind of nasty, but I don't think of it that way. I I thought that it was a really good opportunity to candidly like try and prove myself and show them I could do the job. And it took about, I think it was four or five months. Um, and they were interviewing people, they couldn't find someone that was a good fit. So I kind of got lucky in that regard. And she, I remember she came to me one day because I had a you know been doing a, a good job. And she said, All right, you've earned the right, and now you get to carry the bag. And that feeling, as long ago as that was, I still remember like how proud that made me feel and how much it encouraged me to say, Okay, well, what else could I do? And what else could I do? So I like I know sometimes people take that story and say, like, you shouldn't have to prove yourself to get a job. I didn't mind it because it set the tone for me for my career of like, always be doing things that people don't believe you could do.
0: Mm. So wait, how long were you in that first kind of like junior or whatever you would call that role before that woman left and you kind of had the opportunity to prove it? Yeah. So it was about six months. And how, roughly how long had that woman that was in the role before like been in sales or at the company, like, was she pretty experienced?
1: She was really experienced. It's why she basically took over running the whole practice in London. So she was like, I don't remember exactly, but she was at least five, six years in.
0: Yeah, so like, to me, that feels fair because it's like, you know, would I trust an SDR now that's been an SDR for six months to like <laughs> go try to sell to an enterprise account, you know, where I am? Like, no, I don't I don't think that they get that chance. Um, and so I, I feel like, you know, life has kind of a funny way of like, Sometimes you get thrown these opportunities and you're either, re- if you're trying to get ready when you get the opportunity, then you're not going to be, you're not going to succeed. But if you've been getting ready and you've been kind of like following her lead and learning from her and working hard, the opportunity came to you, It you know, sooner than maybe you expected, but you were there to capitalize on it, right? You had to earn it. And I, I feel like that's a fair ask. And it's like a really, it it could be seen as a fortunate thing for you, but if you weren't ready for it, then you know, it, it would have just slipped right past you and they would have found someone with more experience to to fill the role.
1: I totally agree. It forced me to step up and really show, like, prove, not only just prove to them, but prove to myself I could do it. And I mean, I know that sounds a little cheesy, but it really did cause me to do a way better job than even maybe candidly if they had just been like, okay, Jen, sure, here's the, here's the territory, do it. So yeah. I, I agree with you. I think part of my guidance a lot of times when I work with a new um, SDR or anything like that is just like, don't limit yourself to the job scope that you have. Like any opportunity you have to show that you can, you're willing to take on the next thing, you're willing to learn. Is just, I think it's it's an intellectual curiosity. It's a work ethic thing. It just shows that you're not this, this just there for like the nine to five. And, and I feel like that was very important throughout my own career in sales. Mm.
0: So how did your path look in terms of, you know, the types of roles that you had, like, did you kind of lean into large account management, like handling enterprise relationships? Did you jump across like new business and that, like, did you get into leadership or or what was kind of the path for you, um, you know, throughout your career or or like the sweet spot that you landed in?
1: Yeah. So for me, um, it's an, I think it's an interesting story because I did a lot of different jobs, but one thing I always knew is I never wanted to be a sales manager or a sales Mm. leader. And so if you look at my career, I started off as like entry-level in account management. Then I became an account manager. Then I did actually manage a team. I did kind of like a player coach role um, where I managed a team of five. So two account managers and then um, the folks, the FDRs that kind of supported them. And then I remember sitting in a meeting one day where I was with, um, actually, no, then they had us pick up kind of cross-sell and upsell instead of just renewing. So I got my first taste of like hunter and farmer. And then I was sitting in a meeting actually in the suburbs of Chicago with someone. And I remember looking at my calendar, looking for the next meeting. And I was thinking, man, like my job right now is 90% farming and 10% hunting. And when I look at my calendar, the hunting calls are the ones that I'm actually excited about. The farming calls are the ones where I'm like, let me get through it. And that day, again, I remember it very vividly. I went to my boss and I said, I think I want to move over to like hunting full time. But it scared me because I was like, every year as an account manager, you know, you're not going to end the year at zero at hunting. There's a distinct possibility you could. And so I switched over then to sell this this annual subscription, did that for a few years. And then that's the point I said, you know what? Now, like it was a $50,000, $70,000 price point. I was like, I want a new challenge. And I moved over to challenger, no pun intended, where they were selling much larger, much more complex, like big ticket deals. And that was my next challenge. And so doing that was, again, it was like that fearful moment of, I don't know if I can do this, but I really want to try. And I think one of the the things that can be difficult in sales, or I always found difficult was like, you know, if you're not moving up the org chart, do you feel bad about yourself? And do you feel like, you know, you're not going anywhere, but I think there's so many things you can do in sales, even at the front line and still find ways to ke- like, keep challenging yourself. And that's kind of what I sought out in my career. It was like account management, then hunting, then hunting a big ticket thing. And then, you know, now today adding on this new evangelist job.
0: How do you know when it's the right time to seek out a new challenge? Because you could always kind of make the case for yourself that, you know, I could always keep learning. You know, if I'm 150%, I could get to 200 If I've the top rep on my team, I could break records. You know, there's always like the next step. Um so I'm curious, like when do you know internally like, no, I, I need a new challenge. I need to do something different.
1: That's such a great question. I wanted to hear your answer on that too. <laughs> for me, it was like when I get bored, right? Anytime I'm bored and I'm mentally unstimulated is when I'm saying Man, I'm gonna start get I'm gonna start getting lazy. I'm gonna start not caring as much. I'm, I'm someone who really despises apathy in like any customer facing role, and I realized it's like when I'm when I'm starting to do that, I'm doing a disservice to customers. I gotta change something up. But what's your answer? I'm curious to what you think about it.
0: No, I, I think the same thing. Um, you know, I, I'm someone that that likes to set you know a big challenge in front of me and. You know, if I find myself like waking up in the morning and I'm a morning person. And so if I find myself waking up and I'm like, kind of like sluggishly going through like <laughs> the morning routine and just like, uh, you know, like kind of like, like what you're saying, which has happened. Um, I know something needs to change, but there's also this moment when there's something like big, if it's personal or professional that I will wake up at like four Oh two in the morning, for, like <laughs> two to three days in a row. And that will be the only thing on my mind. And It's like, okay, that needs to change. And so like, it's just like one of those things that it's kind of creeping in your subconscious for a while. And then it just goes to the forefront. And then like, once that happens, I can't like sleep or eat until like I start taking action on making a change, (laughs) whatever that might be.
1: I love that answer. I think that's like a very real thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and, um, I'm curious, um, a lot of the folks I've had on the show um, have differed in their aspirations and like wanted to get into management or leadership. And it was pretty clear to you that that, that was not an interest of yours. I'm just curious why that is and, and like the type of satisfaction that you get, you know, year after year of being an individual contributor and and being able to kind of um, go after your own goals in the way that makes, you know, makes sense to you and is fulfilling to you.
1: Yeah. And I'll be really honest about this. When I look at a sales manager role, and and this is again, just my opinion, and I don't mean to offend anybody in the sales manager role, but I feel like a large portion of the time is just dealing with internal stuff right? Like forecast reports and pipeline. And did you put this in CRM and stuff that when I like envisioned it, I always thought to myself, like, that's not the type of stuff that would make me so excited to wake up in the morning. I don't want to spend my day in Excel or spend my day in salesforce.com. If I don't, I mean, I I use it, but like, I don't want to revolve my life around it. And the thing that I love about being customer focus, customer facing all the time is that there's always a new challenge like I, I i'm someone who just firmly believes you cannot master sales i loathe the term sales expert because i think customers are changing so much the environment's changing so much i just think it's really hard to get bored in sales and if we're bored it's probably because we're just relying on what worked for us last year and we were not really looking out and saying like what's new what's different how do i change so, I just never found myself getting bored with sales because there would be so many things I would mess up, learn from, do differently, get excited because it worked, start that process all over again.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's I think that's super true. And I, I feel like even oftentimes, maybe people get into management roles because they just think that's the next step. And they just kind of fall like, well, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of folks that, you know are individual contributors, their whole careers. Um, and get to the highest point, and they're selling, you know, seven, eight, nine-figure deals, um, you know, if you're financially driven, bringing back major, major paychecks, um, and, you know, are able to kind of have more, more time spent doing, I guess, valuable activities, You could, you could make the argument that your time is probably spent, you know, with customers and with prospects more than a sales manager, where a lot of it is like you know internal calls and doing a lot of you know, for lack of a better term, kind of like a lot of bullshit. Um, and, <laughs> That's a good term. Yeah, Tom. I like and, that. And so I, I I feel like it's it's important for folks to kind of understand like what is going to actually drive them, and there's a good a good path in either direction.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, if you want to be a sales leader, you have to have sales manager on your stops, right? Like you yes, have yes. to do it. So I think if it's in pursuit of, I want to get to the next thing. And I, you know, it's really, really important to me. I want to run a sales organization. That's an awesome aspiration. You're going to have to go through some of the jobs that where like, I often describe sales managers, as like you get all the the, the complaints from the bottom and you get all the complaints from the top and you just have to manage it all, right? Like that's a tough spot. I admire sales managers and I admire the ones I know because, they have to go through a lot of that stuff. So I don't want to get anybody from going down like the manager or leader path. But I think what you said really rings true to me. It's, It's you don't have to take that path. You take that path when you're super passionate about your destination or you're super passionate about managing and coaching people. Like I wish the world was a place where the only people that got into management were people that were just like obsessed with teaching and coaching, because I think we wouldn't have as many coaching problems as we do.
0: Mm, that's that's super true. Um, now that I think about it, frontline sales managers are kind of like the BDRs of leadership, where it's like, I just feel like they have to deal with like so much bullshit and there's like a ton of work, it's, <laughs> but it's a necessary stepping stone most of the time to yeah. get to where you want to get to. Um totally. so that's my new theory.
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: I love it. Um, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about uh a post that you had recently that really resonated with me, which was around. Um, you know, kind of gaining your self-worth and validation from, you know, whether it's pro- professionally or personally from kind of like the external world. So like as salespeople, let's make this a little bit more tangible. Like as salespeople, it's very easy to say, my quota is a million dollars. I have sold $900,000. I am a failure or I kind of suck or I'm not doing well, or I was 150% to goal last quarter. I'm killing it. Uh, and therefore I can be confident and happy and and have fun. And um, I think that's that's the way that my brain works a lot of the time. And I think it's a flawed uh, situation, but I'd love to hear you kind of just talk about your experience with that in dealing with someone that is clearly very driven, ambitious, has these huge goals that you're going after in a career, but also trying to balance like, you know, having a life outside of that and being, you know, happy personally and and getting into other things outside of, you know, Zoom calls and emails.
1: Yeah, and I, I appreciate that you shared your take on it too, because I think it's something that in sales, it can be uncomfortable for us to talk about because we always view that, you know, type A, like I'm a winner performer as being who we want to emulate. And that was always yeah. hard for me, right? Because I didn't have this desire to be in sales. I was frankly very skeptical of my ability to be good at it. Um, and I, and I spoke about this in my post, but like there is a good and a bad side, right? So when you doubt yourself a lot, you have what you call kind of a bigger beginner's mindset, right? Where you're always exploring like, well, why do I say this? And should I say this? And maybe I'll look and see if there's something else. And that has been a great benefit to my career because I never get comfortable and I'm always seeking to learn how could I do this thing differently? So I, I actually think that part's positive. The negative part is that it at times it is so easy for me to tie to your what you said. Like it, if I have a bad quarter, if I bring in a big deal two days after the quarter closes, the, the the way I talk to myself is insane. Right. And it's like you assign so much of your own value to the outcome. And it it's one of the reasons why I'm a big Josh Braun fan. And when I first read his content around like a detached mindset, it was one of those moments where it shook me. And I said, This is exactly the opposite of what I have. I perceive that I have ultimate control over everything. And when I fail, it's because I failed. Now, there are many, many times when I get something wrong in a deal, and it is my fault that an outcome happens, but it's not 100% of the time, but I was treating it like it was 100% of the time. And um, that was really, really meaningful to me when I started reading his content about that and just reminding myself and waking up every day and being like, you don't control the outcome. (laughs) Remember, remember, remember. Um, So I think part of it is, are we limiting ourselves from bigger, better things? Are we limiting ourselves from better outcomes because we're constantly second guessing ourselves? and I do it all the time. And for me, writing on LinkedIn um, has has been an outlet for me. It's a way to hold myself accountable. So if I acknowledge to everybody that I'm connected with, I struggle with this and I doubt my moves and I doubt if I'm doing the right thing. Like I'm holding myself accountable to show up and, and try to work on that. Um, so everybody's different. But for me, writing has been a, a super helpful outlet.
0: yeah, I'd love to I'd love to go even deeper into the detachment piece. Um, so let's just say, first of all, maybe you can just help like explain for folks that aren't hmm. even familiar with the term um, or or any of Josh's writing or or work on that a little bit about that. But also, like how do you let's say you're working a big deal or, you know, you're in a fight for the quarterly number, like we have all been in or all, all currently in, and um, and you don't hit it. Like, how do you how do you detach from that situation um, and treat it as a learning event and not let it, you know, absolutely make you miserable for a week or burn you out or um, you know just kind of shatter your confidence or or all those different kind of side effects that can happen. So how how does one become detached?
1: Yeah. So for your first point on those that aren't familiar with detached mindset, like, first of all, go follow Josh Brown. I don't work for Josh Brown. I think some people think I do because I just refer him all the time. I just love his content, but a detached mindset means disconnecting the belief that you are in control of what other people do. So if I'm an SDR and I'm making a cold call and someone says, no, it doesn't make me a bad SDR. If that person decides not to take the meeting, right? I could still do everything right, And they could say no and i think especially for those listeners that are in early level sales jobs and or sdr roles and they're you know getting beat up over no's and unsubscribes and all that stuff that we all go through it's important to go into those conversations with a detached mindset because it prevents you from being desperate but it also reminds you that like for every no like most companies are going to get way more no's than they get yeses and that has nothing to do with you right so that's that's how i kind of interpret josh's work on detached mindset Um, But to your very, very good question about practically, how do I do it? There's a process I started using um, years ago, where I said, at the end of every quarter, like day one of the first new quarter, I'm going to look back at all of the deals that were in play that quarter, one one lost or no decision. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to look for patterns. So every time I say this. I find that deals end up here or every time I use this approach, I find that I lose the deal. And what that allows me to do is instead of investigating every single one-on-one opportunity and saying, well, here's what I did wrong. And that's what I did wrong. And that's what I did wrong. I tell myself, I actually tell myself when I lose a big deal, save it for day one of next quarter and see if it's a pattern. If it's a pattern, Jen, it's your fault. You got to do something different you got to change it. If it's a one-off thing recognize it may be out of your control you can do everything right we are dealing with humans they're unpredictable we can't forecast what they're going to do but if it happens frequently that's a signal to me that hey pick up your head go talk to some other people learn and see how you can approach that job differently so it's like it's still hard for me but knowing that on day one of that quarter i'm going to look back and see was it me was it something else is my reminder that like, don't spend too much time in the weeds, thinking about what you did to lose one deal, look at it in aggregate. Cause that's where we're going to learn about patterns.
0: Mm. Do you spend the entire like day doing that? Or is that just like a quick kind of exercise? I'm just curious uh, if there's any yeah. other things you do kind of like as a reflection first day of the, of the quarter.
1: I mean, like July, 2020, was a very quick exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah a very yeah. big pipeline. Yeah. Um, fair. But I would say like, now you're probably like, I'm probably looking at, cause I just did this the other day. It was probably like two hours, honestly, because yeah. I take my time with it. Cause I think it's a worthwhile exercise and I had a, a good chunk of opportunities in play. Um, but I think it's really like one of the most valuable two hours I can spend because all I'm mm-hmm. doing is I'm looking through like, who are the stakeholders I was engaged with? What steps did I go through? Like, was it competitive? Was it not? Um, what was the deal structure that I assembled? Like, where were they? Di- was it inbound outbound? Like after I do it enough, it gets to a point where I know what to look for. In the beginning, it was a little hard. Cause I'm like, what do I look for? There's so many things I could explore. And so just narrowing that down now it's become more of a behavior than it is like a, you know, one-off exercise.
0: Yeah. And I imagine depending on someone's role, cause it, I imagine that you're, you're working like larger enterprise, pretty long sales cycle deals. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I imagine that you could scale this down for someone that's in a transactional sale, or let's say a BDR could do this. I imagine, even like, you know, if not every week, certainly every month. Um, But if I, you know, I'm thinking about you, and if I was a BDR, I might go every Friday afternoon or Sunday evening, or, you know, whatever it might be, the cadence wise, uh, and take 30 minutes and go through, all right, here are the calls that I made. Uh, and the emails that I sent, I booked three demos, the goal was five, like, oh, like, well, I got on this cold call, and they brought up the competitor, and I kind of stumbled, and, you know, this other one, I did really well, because I was patient, and I asked good questions, and to try to kind of come up with that, and, um, you know, rely on yourself as your main coach, not your manager, because I think, as we got to before, you <laughs> might have a great manager, you might not, We, you and I can't control that. Uh, We're not hiring managers (laughs) right now for you, Um, but you can take that development into your own hands. And um, as painful as it may be, uh, you know, how your month or quarter went, you can use that as an opportunity to actually improve.
1: I love that advice, Tom. And it's funny because there's a, a guy, his name's Ethan Carpenter, Carpenter he just actually switched from banking to SaaS. And he's been writing a lot on LinkedIn about how, how that journey has been. And I'm always really fascinated by people have the courage to jump from one industry to another. Mm-hmm. And he read my post and he said, similar to what you said, he said, I realize I need to do this on a weekly like basis right now because I'm still in learning mode and I don't want to give myself a quarter of bad behavior before I reflect on it. And I think especially what you said for SDRs, the, the thing that like, Pains me is how there are still organizations out there who are just like hammering the activity and volume play. And it's just about how many emails you send and how many calls you make. Because I do think that really sets sellers up for fail or SDRs up for failure later on when you carry that mindset throughout your career. And so, even if you're working in a structure or culture like that, I love the fact that your guidance is like, even if your manager's not asking you to do it just do it because you start to realize, like in my own deals, I realized I was getting a lot of interest upfront, but then when it came time for a stakeholder to do something, it was like, it would drag on and drag on and drag on and drag on. And what I realized was like, I was not making the cost of an action, like doing nothing painful for them. So it felt like this thing that if, and when I want to completely blow up our methodology, like I'll do it, but there's always going to be reasons that I don't want to do it. Like maybe we have another change or implementing a new CRM. Like I don't know. People think I'm crazy if I want them to do all this extra work. And so I it taught me like I have to be super sharp about every single sales cycle. I gotta teach them the cost of inaction. And sure enough, once I started doing it, I stopped seeing that problem as much. So if you're an SDR, like look at the emails you're sending, look at the responses you're getting. We learn so much from pattern recognition. It's one of the best tools you can have. And it's it's free and it's <laughs> like in <Yeah>. your
0: control. <laughs> and and if you are whether you're an SDR or an AE if you're doing that exercise, um, you know I would suggest even bubbling that up to your leadership and saying, hey, I took the time to take you know 30 minutes at the end of the week or an hour at the end of the month. I identified, hey, look, I was 86% to goal, but here, here's what I did well. Here's what I'm going to improve on. And I'll email you the first of next month and let you know how I did on some of those changes. And for anyone that wants to move up, quickly whether you want to go up the enterprise path you want to get into management i think that's a great way to you know separate yourself if you're early in your career because 99 percent of people aren't thinking like that
1: i that's such amazing advice to do things like that that you haven't been asked to do show a commitment to like constant learning and i think for me for others that i respect like that's one of the characteristics it's really hard to teach someone is just the desire to, and the hunger to keep like bettering yourself and figuring out different ways. And then to your point, like imagine a leader who then has all of that information from their team and is able to say like, Hey, at a really high level, maybe you haven't encountered this yet, but Jane learned this. And then we're constantly teaching like that in my mind is like high performance culture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to, I want to get to swipe right sales um, <laughs> because That was part of the same post if I'm not mistaken. And that was one of the more clever, like I could already see that becoming like a, I don't even know if that would be a product or a a podcast of its own or whatever, but um, I'd love for you to enlighten us a little bit on like where your head's at on the swipe right sales uh, mantra.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in the spirit of being vulnerable, like I put this all in the post, but I struggled a lot with dating for a long time because of the same thing we just talked about with sales, like issues with self-worth and thinking I'm like, I'm not good enough and all that. And so like, I started writing this content last week. I did a post a few months ago, but like I kind of revisited this week. And when we start exploring how we show up in sales, it's funny how like we think different rules apply. Like we're still humans talking to humans, but we put on this hat that is so weird and we do things we would never do in normal life. And so I think for me, like one of the closest analogies I can think of is online dating, um, where we're doing kind of cold outreach to people who don't know us um, for a different purpose, clearly, yeah. but still cold outreach. And I think there's a lot of mistakes that we make um, in sales. We would never make in online dating. And for me, I learn a lot by stories and analogies, like you can hammer a point for me five days a week and I will probably forget it. But if it's a memorable story, it kind of sticks with me. And so when I think about like, there's so many like tangible things that are similar. So even just this mindset of like the highs and lows of dating, right? What if I'm going out on all these dates and I'm not finding a partner? That's so discouraging. It's not like that dissimilar from having a really bad quarter where you're doing a lot of calls and none of them are ending up in deals or like, You know, if you're out there dating and like reaching out to people who are just non-committal and they're saying like, yeah, let's meet (laughs) up sometime and let's get lunch or let's get a drink, but they never do it. Like how many times have we done that with prospects? So it just started like, as I was writing these posts, I just kept thinking. And then yesterday, all these people chimed in with these other great ideas that I hadn't thought about. And so my thinking there is like, I think anytime we can remind ourselves of how to be human in sales, it's a good thing. And so it was just an idea to say like, tell your stories. If you see a commonality between dating and sales, like here's a way to kind of promote it.
0: Yeah. I feel like, um, it it resonated with me because I am, uh, I'm newly single for the first time in, in years, which is a different story for a different podcast, but, (laughs) but it, but it, it resonated because it's so true. Like the way you carry yourself in both situations right if you are like this is a josh braun quote that he says uh, commission breath which i i love that that phrase of just being like you can just kind of smell it on a salesperson if they're not hitting quota and they're just desperate um i feel like the same kind of applies in you know if you're on bumble or wherever you wherever you tend to go um but it's like how you carry yourself do you carry yourself like you know who you are you know what your worth is you know um what you're looking for um and if you if you stagger from either of those and you you know try to become someone that you're not and i think something in in sales in particular that really takes a few years at least took me a few years is really to like understand you know what your strengths are and be like an authentic seller and kind of lean into you know whatever it is that makes you you if you're funny or if you're serious or you're data driven or whatever it might be Um, And there's like an explosion of growth that happens as a salesperson, when you are just like, this is me. And like, you are a CRO or a CIO, and you've been doing this job longer than I've been alive. But like, I've got something to say. And like, I'm going to ask some good questions. And I know my shit well enough to at least like, have a conversation with you. And like, let's see if this is a worthwhile, you know, kind of path to go down together. And until you get to that point, I, I feel like there's a huge limitation that you can have as a salesperson.
1: Uh, like what you just said hits me. Hits me. <laughs> It's like, I remember I thought I had to use these big words and I thought I had to use all these buzzwords and yeah. half the time I didn't even know what it meant. I just knew like, this is what people say. And there was I, I like, I remember the first time I let my guard down with a, a chief sales officer, it was exactly what you said. Like all of a sudden the tone of the conversation changed and it wasn't desperate Jen trying to convince you to do something. It was like two people talking to each other that have very different circumstances, very different life experiences, but you're right. Like if we don't feel confident that we have something of value to add, we should never be sending that email or picking up the phone. The reality is we do. And like, I'll tell a really quick story. This is from one of our clients who said, you know it's it, like you have this like lack of confidence from sellers and so what they show up and do instead is say like i'm going to ask all these questions to try to you know show that i'm very curious in you and the the example was this guy was a sales leader he was doing a joint visit with one of his reps to visit a cio and they sold crm systems and the rep was newer he was so nervous his boss is in the room he's talking to an actual cio big ticket deal right And he sat down and he said, you know, I'm I'm really pleased we have the opportunity to meet today. And can you help me understand, like, what are some of your mission critical priorities? And the guy, like, looked at him funny and the sales leader was sitting right there. And he said, first of all, you talk to more CIOs in a week than I will talk to in a year. Like, why don't you tell me what I should have on my mission critical priority list? And by the way, that's not the language we use around here, right? And it was just like that That seller was doing everything they were taught. They weren't out of line, but it's like that sales leader walked out of the room and he said, man, like that's when I had this moment that I got to help my people feel more prepared in these sales calls because they're showing up looking naive. And I thought that was super powerful. And I think even just knowing as an SDR or a newer AE, that customers want, they're looking for, to be taught, they're looking for things to help them. Um, It's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to have a point of view. um, What's not okay is just showing up and asking the customer to do all the work for you, even though that's what a lot of sellers are taught to do.
0: Mm. How do you, how do you combat that? If you had, if I'm a chief sales officer and we have our first meeting, like how do you, yeah, I can look on your LinkedIn and see that, you know, what you're talking about, but let's say I'm, I'm showing up blind. Like how do you, come in, you know, hot out of the gates and and prove that?
1: Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And for me, like, obviously I work for Challenger Um, prior, like I will be very honest when I, before I heard about Challenger, I was what we kind of call a relationship builder where I was always just looking to be like super likable and accessible. Now that you know my story, this all adds up. (laughs) And for me, Challenger was super hard. It was super different. I didn't, I'm just not a natural challenger. Um, But what I realized is like 0809 happened. And then all of these really nice conversations and happy customers, they disappeared. Right. And I had nothing to say to them. And it was a moment where I was like, am I cut out for this? Is the world going to be different? Is sales going to be different? And that's when I learned about challenger. And so in my mind, what I got really wrong about challenger at first is I interpreted it as go in and tell sales leaders, this is what you don't get. And I will tell you, if you want a very fast way to never get a second meeting, like that's a path, that's a path <laughs> yeah. to success. Yeah. It was just like, that tone doesn't make any sense. Like who wants to come in and have a conversation about all the, the reasons I'm wrong? Like it's an offense defense thing. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't yield success. What I learned is it's about coming in with a, with a hypothesis um, that you can back up. And being curious about whether or not that problem occurs in their business and how they see it. Right. And and this is something I think especially important for anybody who's selling to an executive level. You cannot never meet someone and come in and then they've got it and tell them they've got everything broken. It's just, it's not going to fly. What you can do is say, like in my example, I'll be very, very specific. One of the things that we've studied a lot is just how many deals in a pipeline die because the customer just says, you know what, forget it. Like, I know we don't have the best approach for doing this, but it's better than nothing. It's better than what I'm gonna have to go through to buy your things. I'm gonna stick with what I do. So we call that like no decision or status quo. So instead of going to sales leaders and saying, you have a status quo problem, you have a no decision problem and, and being like condescending, I'll go in and I'll say, you know what's really fascinating is we always think about like why we lose for price and why we lose for competitors, but have we ever actually sat back and explored how much of our pipeline we're losing just to customers risk aversion? Right, and then we have a conversation like, "Hey, our research suggests it's thirty-eight percent, but have you, ever, have you ever looked at it? Do you have a way of analyzing your win-loss data to figure that out?" And you're opening up a conversation. You're not the thing. I think I like the most is it's a conversation they often aren't expecting. They would expect me to come in and say, "You know, do you have the best sales training program that you could have?" And that's a boring yeah. conversation that would get me pushed down. But if I'm helping them analyze their business, look at their business in a different way candidly, like that's a conversation I could have with any sales leader. It requires zero prep. Now I don't like doing zero prep, but you could do it that right way. Right. So I think one piece of advice is for anyone that's um, selling or an SDR, know what the alternative to using your product is and find a way to expose an underappreciated risk or cost by doing it that way. Cause that's a really cool way to start a conversation.
0: Yeah. And having like real A real data point like that 32 percent there that company might not be 32 it could be more or less but that's that's the industry and it at least you know it wakes you up if if you go to any sales leader and say hey 32 percent of your pipeline like you don't even know what's going on there or i'm curious if you do like that's that's a huge issue and so you can tweak that depending on whatever it is that you're selling um but have that data that's not hey we just we help all these customers do a b and c it's like now here's just the problem if this is a problem let's talk if it's not if you already know what you're doing there then cool that's great you're way ahead of the pack and you know i'll, I'll carry on somewhere else
1: great and that's the thing like i love it when customers are like it's not 38 percent it's Forty or it's yeah. twenty. I'm like, cool. Well, let's talk about that. It's still a big number, <laughs> like, and that's exactly it. And I think a lot of what people get, sellers can get feared about. And I've had the same fear as well. It's like, well, what if I say the wrong number? Guess what? Like, that's okay. It's just opening up a conversation, um, which is cool. So I love the way you put that.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, let's get to some rapid fire. So some let's people do it. here can get to know you a little bit better. Um, <laughs> so first up, we are we're big learners on the on this podcast. Um, we're big readers. I'm not sure if you're a reader or not, but if so, I'd love to hear um, any books that have have really, you know, made an impact on you. Either as a salesperson, as a human being, any topic is fair game. But just curious if uh, any few stand out.
1: So I'm gonna admit something in the interest of being vulnerable and honest. Let's hear it. I have not read a book in years, and I'm embarrassed and ashamed. <laughs> I am a fast information. Like it's why I'm so obsessed with LinkedIn, LinkedIn, because I love bite-sized stuff. So I'm not going to give you the answer to your question. I am going to say that I think Josh Braun, Will Allred at Lavender, Bilal Batrawi, um, who's with GTM Buddy, are three of the people that I admire most. I learn the most from, and not just as it relates to sales, what I especially like, and you'll relate to this too, because you know, Josh, like Josh is always lifting things up. It's not just all about sales. It's about like how we show up in our lives. So I embarrassingly have not read a book in way too long, but, um, that's my version of learning.
0: Okay. We'll take it. Uh, funny you bring <laughs> up, Will. uh, I had a, a, a conversation with him this week and I was asking to build lavender into some of the dating apps, uh, so they could test what your opening line should be oh, on some oh. of these, uh, and so I'm trying to give him some product feedback. I don't know if he's going to bite, but um, I thought that would be good.
1: That's a circle. We have him. We're interviewing him like in an hour for our podcast. I'm going to bring it up again and say, Tom told me about
0: this. Yeah. Or- there we go. Let's just flood him. Um, are you, you're not a book person. Are you a, a podcast, YouTube person? Uh, like newsletter, anything like that, blog type of person, or just kind of stick to LinkedIn for the most part.
1: I mean, I I know this makes me sound like a total schmuck, but I'm big on LinkedIn. It's just okay. like <laughs> time to time, like I'll listen to podcasts, but I'm not like a serial listener. And part of that's probably my life changed pretty dramatically when I, I met my boyfriend. I went from single, living by myself, to now four kids, three dogs. So any <laughs> any, any free time I have is usually watching SpongeBob. Embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> All
0: right. Well. Jot that down, people. If you want to be a better salesperson, watch watch some more <laughs> <vibe. laughs> That's hilarious. Um, what about music? What goes on in the headphones, music wise? Oh, There's got to be God. something. This is
1: a this is a great one. I am someone when I get like writer's block, music is my my answer to it. So I'll tell you, I am super excited. I'm getting to see Coldplay this time. It has been the nice. top of my bucket list to go see a Coldplay concert, and they're coming to Chicago. So. Tom, if you like Coldplay, you should go to, um, it? it's in, I think it's in May, May okay. or June. I'll send you the note. It like, I couldn't be more excited. I think it's at the, um, it's at, uh, Soldier Field, if I'm not mistaken, oh, sh- or it's United Center. Now I'm like second guessing it, but wherever it is, it's going to be big. It's going to be amazing. And that's like my, that's my go-to.
0: Okay. I love them. That w- they would probably great live too. Right? Um, so I got to know, um, what was I gonna? Oh, what's something that you do to recharge? I know you've got four kids and three dogs. So maybe there's not a lot of recharge time, but outside <laughs> of SpongeBob, is there anything else that you do outside of the sales world to kind of like recharge and, and have fun?
1: Yes. So in COVID, um, I picked up skiing. I haven't skied since I was a little girl. Yeah. And I like what was really cool about it is one, it was something that you could do outside, right? So that's kind of why I got into it. Um, but two, it had been a really long time since I like learned something I had no idea how to do. And it was so fun. And I, I sucked at it at first, like really sucked. And it, and actually what was interesting is then I took a lesson and once I took the lesson, it was so, it came so much easier to me, which just was a good reminder of me to me that like, keep learning. Don't always try to figure problems out in yourself. So skiing was a big one. Now I I go like quite a bit during the winter. And then um, the other one is like the dogs, the dogs are just like a total like recharge outlet for me. And then the other one, which I haven't done as much of lately because of the weather as you can attest, uh, is biking outside. Um, Biking outside is one of those few moments where I get like complete silence. I can just focus on what's outside. Like those are things that are pretty helpful for me.
0: I love it. Um, Got a couple more for you. Uh, You said that writing is, you know, something that you like to do to kind of process information any any like writing uh, tips you have or like a routine that you have? do you just kind of like sit down and go for it, or is there anything in particular that you do?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, one, I would plug lavender. I think lavender is like such a great writing tool, and I always like to sneak that in. But um two, I would say, for me, in the beginning, I had to like when it came to writing on LinkedIn, I actually had to schedule it on my calendar just to hold myself accountable. Now what I find is um, usually much of my content is influenced by something that happened that day. And the way that I process it, whether it's something that happened in a sales call, something that happened like in an internal meeting, the way that I, I help myself process it is to write about it. And there are plenty of times where I'll write about it. And then at the end, I'm like, I don't know if this is a great post, but it certainly helped me think through the problem and I'll just bag it. But like, it's almost like that advice you get where if you're really mad, write it all down like write your response down and then say yeah. none of that stuff. Like yeah. like I think it's like almost on autopilot now at the end of every day I'm reflecting, but I don't post every day. I post I try to post a few times a week.
0: Okay. That's great. Um my last one before we uh get to the wrap ups part is who would you want to come see next on the Millennial Sales podcast? Oh
1: my gosh, there's so many good people. <laughs> I want to pick, you know what I'm there's like so many names that I'm sure you hear all the time. Um I'm going to pick someone that I think is like lesser known, but I mentioned before. So his name's Ethan Carpenter. Um, Ethan is someone who, like I said, made the switch from banking to SaaS. And the reason I'd pick him is because one, he's very authentic. He doesn't act like he's got it all figured out. But two, I find that he is so good about reflecting on what works, what doesn't. And he's open about what, you know, like what he's going to do differently. So I think he's a great, like, I I like learning for people that are in my, my stage of like life or whatever. And, um, I think for SDRs, AEs that are newer on the journey, it's so helpful to hear from someone who's like in it with them. And so that's why Mm -hmm. I pick him.
0: Love it. Ethan, we're coming after you. Um, (laughs) Um, Jen, before I let you go, uh, I know you got a lot of stuff that you're doing over at challenger outside of Obviously selling big deals, uh, (laughs) but you got a new podcast that you just launched. You're obviously writing on LinkedIn a lot. Um, So I'd love to just give you a minute to talk about all the great stuff you're doing and where folks can find you.
1: Absolutely. So I think one of the things that it's a weird problem we run into, but a lot of people know the Challenger sale book. A lot of people don't know Challenger Inc exists. Um, And then the other problem is a lot of people say, I read the book, but like, how do I do a discovery call? Like a challenger would, how do I negotiate? How do I run a group meeting? And we never address that. And so the idea behind the Winning the Challenger Sale podcast is to actually take the theories in the book and talk about how do you use them in real time? How would you run discovery differently if you have a challenger mindset on? So I co-host that with Mike Randazzo, who's our head of enablement and go-to-market. And we do a podcast every week um, and then a webinar every month. So you can find that on challengerinc.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: Awesome. Uh, and then just, is it Jen or Jennifer Allen on, uh, on LinkedIn?
1: Oh, good question. It's Jennifer Allen, I think. Actually, no, wait, I changed it to Jen Allen. I changed it to, it's Jen Allen now.
0: Okay, cool. I highly suggest folks uh, go check out uh, the podcast as well as hit Jen up on LinkedIn Um, and hashtag swipe right sales for Ah. any great uh, sales (laughs) to bumble, to hinge uh, connections (laughs) that you have out there.
1: Tom, I better see some swipe right stories now that you're back in that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll
0: I'll, I'll put them out there. I'll tag you. I'll I'll tag you. Uh, Jen, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. And thanks for all the work you're doing. It's awesome. Absolutely. Thanks for checking out that episode. Start of the year. Let's kick some ass. Again, one of my goals for this show is to get as many subscribers uh, wherever you're listening here uh, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, et cetera, subscribe, leave a review, and then hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, Tom Malamo, or any of my other socials at Tommy Tahoe. Look forward to connecting with you there. Peace.